Welcome back to Technical Foodies, where we discuss QSR technology and hot topics in the food and beverage industry. Presented by Acrylec. This month, we're talking about drive-ins. As we mature, restaurant concepts mature with us. Most of the time. Drive-in restaurants have been a staple of American culture since the mid-20th century. My European colleagues know them mainly from American movies like Days and Confused and American Graffiti, but you can definitely still find them today. Sonic, of course, is the largest drive-in chain, but local mom-and-pop drive-ins still exist all over the country. And they look almost exactly like they did in the 50s, except maybe for the roller skates. As we discussed with Tyler last month, QSRs are going digital, investing in tech, and taking advantage of partnerships to stay relevant and profitable. So what's next for the drive-in? Will this fixture of Americana jump on the tech train or stay antiquated? Stay with us to find out. Today, I have with me one of my favorite colleagues and probably one of the most knowledgeable people on drive-ins, Paul Crawford. Paul spent almost six years as president of Ordermatic Corporation, one of the first names in audio systems for QSR and a major player in audio for drive-ins all over the country. Now a program director for Acrolec for a little over a year now. Welcome, Paul. Well, hello, Delia. How are you doing today? I'm great. I'm so glad you could take the time to, to talk with me today. I'm excited to pick your brain a bit here. Um, there's not a lot out there about drive-ins in the present tense. So this is this is going to be really cool. How did you get involved in drive-ins? Let's start there. Well, I literally drove into one in 1985. <laughs> it's got, I mean, that's, that's the answer, right? I mean, that's it, the answer. we pulled in and it was, there you are. We're in the drive-ins. Um, Do you have any memories of drive-ins growing up? Well, well that's what made it special. Um, drive-ins are very nostalgia-oriented. And, and personally, it's a big deal for me because, I mean, just when I think about drive-ins, I'm, you know, I'm back in my 1980 black turbo Trans Am with screaming chicken on the hood and, and the T-tops off uh, with, with, with the girl I've had a crush on forever in the passenger seat and we're ordering cherry vanilla Dr. Peppers. I mean, it's, it's just so Americana. I love that you mentioned American graffiti. Uh, I mean, that's back in the 50s, but even... Now, I was late 80s uh, when I was hitting it. And it's just been such a big deal. It was a place that almost every one of my dates into that. We we stopped by, uh, you know, when we were dragging the strip back and forth. And it's also uh, the reason I'm, uh, I got out of my first ticket. Because I had just had, I just had uh, onion rings for the very first time in my life. And the policeman pulled me over because we were going a little too fast. And was worried I've had alcohol. And he asked me, uh, please blow on my face. And I was shaking. Oh my gosh. And I blew in his face. And then I just said, sorry, sir. I had onion rings. And he just, <laughs> boy, it's all he could do not to laugh. And he just said, son, get home. And <laughs> so thank you to drive-ins. You saved me probably a pretty nice ticket right there from the very start. Yeah, I think that they really, I think that you find them more often, at least like the one-off mom and pops in... Uh-huh maybe more rural areas Absolutely. or less, you know, less suburban type places, um, which is similar to where I grew up. One of our biggest ones is in Chicago. 
Yeah, Superdog is a, a real staple Superdog out here. Has, they had over 80 stalls at one point. I That's mean, just crazy. hopping, and that was it. I mean, they were trying yeah. their best to, to produce as many stalls as they could to get as much business going as they could at one time. Very yeah, interesting. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting way to manage traffic. I can't imagine, like, I feel like it's it's a really weird combination of a drive-through and, like, let me sit down in my, and eat. Well, so drive-ins started about 1920 is the first time we hear of one. And the first okay. drive-through was around 1946, so right there at the end of World War II. So, I mean, there's a big wow. difference, you know, between those. Yeah. It's really just how Americans, how Americans ate. Uh, yeah. And it kind of echoes what's going on in, in society. So, um, what is the current state of drive-ins here in the U.S.? So, I, I think you said it well that uh, drive-ins are, are very, they're very nostalgia-oriented. They are typically small. The mom-and-pop shops, I mean, someone who owns one, maybe two of the shops, uh, they're locally well-known, right? I mean, they're just famous, yeah. you know, in their, in their own little backyards, um, except for Sonic. It's the one that actually grew outside of that shell and became, I mean, full uh, full Americana to the point that last week they actually opened the first Sonic in Hawaii in Kapului. I saw that, and they had they were like cars lined up for miles or something like that just to, to do it. And it what, a, so what cool. a better place to sit out in your car and look at, you know, just enjoy the air. I mean, it's awesome. Yeah. So, the, yeah, that's exciting when you think about uh, the current state. It is viewed as uh, pretty retro. It's viewed as kind of being something quite a bit old-fashioned. Um, and it's it's interesting as a case study in business. Uh, if you're watching uh, something that's, well, we're talking over 100 years old now and how the, the country has evolved. And it's very American because we're car-centered, right? I mean, you don't get so our European friends... That's they don't understand eating in a car. Why in the world would anybody want to eat in a car? But it's uh, for us. It's we love our cars, and then it, you know it's a place to hang out, which is why you'll see like Sonic has done some of their their media, uh, and probably in the last couple of years has revolved around just like family and friends eating in cars together and just talking about normal stuff. They're kind of trying to give that this is where life happens kind of kind of uh, persona. Yeah, I think going back to the. Um... I think they had commercials in the 2010s that were the two guys sitting in the car uh, just joking about, you know, whatever the the new, you know, item was from Sonic and um, always super fun. But I think, you know, Euro Europeans and, and in Europe, they're just now implementing drive throughs you know. So I think they kind of skipped that period of time where they were just looking to eat in their car um, exactly. as opposed to now they're shifting to that kind of mindset of like, let's move quickly you know i want to do things quick and efficiently where drive-ins not necessarily fit that bill <laughs> drive-ins were a place where you could you could just sit back and enjoy for a bit i mean it was just like yeah. life seemed to slow down a little bit what does the average mom and pop drive-in look like technology wise it's, it's going to be pretty antiquated so automatic came on the scene in 1955 and really uh just hugged that niche of drive-in. As as time passes, uh, you know, you've I mean, what was innovative 
many years ago doesn't is not it's gonna hold up over you know 50 years so in 50 years some of the things that we have done which were innovative were not exactly as innovative anymore and there are new technologies thank goodness coming through which are making life easier uh, in some ways and we want to try to leverage those wherever we can but yeah mom and pops it's it's a fairly simple i'm going to say a very let's call it basic sometimes it's not very simple uh, but sometimes it's, it's definitely very basic and it's uh it's approach so are we talking using the same audio systems that you know maybe were installed originally in the 50s or you know car hops going out with pen and paper like just very oh yeah initially it was it was the yeah i love the, the yeah the image of the the american graffiti the people on skates <laughs> so they still wanted to keep that right they still kind of want to hang on yeah. to that nostalgia a bit uh that's yeah, definitely the, the way that began um when we started in 19 when automatic started in 1955 the concept was that people were were struggling with making that connection they're just they couldn't be efficient with someone ordering so sending out the person on skates it mm -hmm. just isn't really efficient and when they have to go back and forth after a while they get tired of that so having a, a button to click to be able to talk to elaine was just I mean, like i said in that, in that day and time very innovative so then how does that differ from chains like sonic or stars where are they at currently technology wise okay so would they have gone uh, so now they've moved to the point where yes they're doing the ordering because it's going to be the larger your chain gets the more uh economies of scale you're going to be able to pull in the more resources you're going to be able to allocate towards that so they've really put money into learning how to communicate with customers more effectively how to manage the queues how to get people in at least get your order in and out as quickly as possible so i think when it comes down to those those two that you've mentioned which are, are definitely the largest and then one of the other largest probably one of the second or third most large in the, in the country they mm -hmm. are they're separating themselves through technology it's just one of their strategies and, and gaining those efficiencies so it's interesting you've, if you've been to sonic you've used their app that's one of the ways okay. uh you can you can order outside uh I love it. Well, I don't know if they call it happy hour or not, but it's it's happy hour all day long. If you order through the app, your drinks are half price. I'm not trying to put a commercial through here, but that makes us stop. So, <laughs> um, but they're able to do that and get people into the into the stalls, able to uh, with really without even communicating because you've done everything on the way. In fact, that's one of these things. My family on the way when we travel, we'll just pass the phone around in the car before we get to our stop. Plan out where yeah. you're going to stop, pass it around, everyone orders, hits the button, and when we show up, pull into one of the mobile spots. That way you're, I mean, you're served right as soon as you get out. And where are they, how have they innovated in terms of audio for Sonic and Stars? So where they have innovated, uh, first there was the, uh, you, where you had to be at the station in order to, in order to communicate. Then they moved to headsets so they could actually get a little more freedom they moved to wireless headsets so that they could now move all about uh, they can go even in and outside uh, to answer headsets uh, answer the customers move around now they are looking at things even like uh, automated order taking that's been on kind of on the, the list for a while I mean 
how great if you had 25 different stalls and you know you hit a button and, and you're able to actually answer and get your order taken correctly uh the first time you know that and some and uh, and someone that doesn't forget to, to tell you about the specials somebody that doesn't forget about the the pieces that sometimes uh humans do so i mean that's that's up and coming that is definitely a uh, when you the talk about step. where technology, yeah, it's kind of the, the next step of technology. That's so cool. It's very interesting, especially considering, um, you know, classic drive-throughs as well have kind of those big classic chains have have played with implementing that there as well. So I think it's a really interesting concept. And to me, fits a little bit better into the drive-in, I think, than the drive-through. Yeah, no, I think that's an interesting point. No, they're both trying to do the same, trying to do the same thing, which is queue management. How do I, how do I get my throughput, increase my throughput? So theoretically, that I can increase the number of people that come in. But it's, uh, yeah, they're both attempting to do the same thing, just a little bit differently. But we really had something that happened in the last couple of years, which kind of flipped everything up on its head. Uh, when you start thinking about uh, the the approaches that people take. And that, of course, is oh, the pandemic. Yes, that completely changed everything. I think the idea of a drive-in. I think just drive-ins passed through the public consciousness again once we hit the pandemic. Um, so, how did they fare during the pandemic? Well, what consider consider restaurants and think about who had to change the least during the pandemic. Yeah, Sonic. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So if, yeah. if you, if you, you know, I, I thought about that and then I went and studied back to kind of find out. So uh, is, is that intentional or was that just coincidental? And if you mm -hmm. go look back and you realize that it was 19, about 1920, uh, I think it was Kirby's pig stand in uh, Dallas, Texas. Well, what, what came out in 1918? Soldiers coming home. The, the Spanish, Spanish flu, right? flu, another pandemic. Interesting. Yeah. So it's very possible oh, wow. that this itself, exactly, this itself was a response to a pandemic. Therefore, a hundred years later, when a pandemic shows up, another one shows up, that you're like, well, it was resilient. I mean, the model was resilient a hundred years later. Yeah. I thought that was pretty fascinating. But you start thinking about what else, uh, what else changed, and what you saw is so you had a lot of stores that have both a, a drug, they have drive through, and then they had in indoor seating. That's what Sonic didn't have to change because they really don't have it. They have a few places with indoor seating, but not much. Uh, but the indoor seating kind of got canceled for a while. Then everybody's doing a drive-thru, which is typically 60-70% of a restaurant's business is going to go through a drive-thru. Well, then they restaurants had to figure out what do we do with all these parking spaces that I've allocated for folks that are going to walk in. And I thought it was it was. I mean, th this is where things seem to kind of be kind of retro, like, you know, it, we've kind of discovered the beginning again. And that is like mobile carryout. Let's talk about mobile carryout spots. So they dedicate a spot where you order on your device and somebody brings it from indoors out to you. That That's sounds a lot like a drive-in to me, right? <laughs> and, and you started yeah. seeing that. You started saying, hey, um, here's, here's a spot where you can order and we'll have someone come out to you. So it was the same thing on how do I monetize my parking spots? Um, but in mm -hmm. order to do that, you kind of have to allocate certain parking spots. I've seen a 
I've seen a Chick-fil-A on I-40 with like 45 spots allocated for mobile. Wow. That's crazy. I mean, it is Chick-fil-A. Yeah, it is Chick-fil-A. But I mean, imagine anyone could actually have 45 spots where I mean, people are just yeah. lining up to, uh, to get, and that's including the drive-through. That's separate. Yeah. So I, I think that that's fascinating that the model of a drive-in was resilient, very possibly because it was a response to the initial pandemic that had as a country. And then uh, secondly, that what you see others doing that are not drive-ins is leverage some of that drive-in uh, mentality to monetize their parking spots and try to get a bit more business. And I think that also speaks to kind of how we're progressing culturally as well, because um, you know those Gen Zs really don't like to talk to people. They don't like to order to a person. They like to be able to put it in their phone and it pops out. And I'm speaking more so in terms of having a sibling who's very much Gen Z. Um, and would rather do my laundry than um, call and, and order a pizza. So, you know, um, I think it's here to stay, to your point, because that's yeah. that's where we're at, at least in the that's, States. Absolutely. So it's it makes sense. And and I'm, I haven't, I assume the other countries are doing this, but I, I need to research that, that they're doing something about spots dedicated for mobile ordering. Um, yeah. So that little... I think it would depend on the restaurant, because I, I think a lot of the footprints that we see in Europe um, are a lot smaller than what we have here. Um, and I think that's another way that restaurants are able to kind of, you know, um, leverage all of that space that, you know, in a post-COVID world might not necessarily be um, as needed in the way that they were first intentioned to be. And now, you know, we can kind of see that shift to where they're they're useful again. Absolutely. Well, I mean, everyone's playing with models, trying to figure out what is the most efficient model. Uh, you seem like Taco Bell as what is it? Four drive-through lanes. Yeah. They put the, they put one the, dedicated those, to pick up. Right. They have the the operation goes on the second floor, and then people that way you're 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 saving space by putting your operations up, but then you have you're just using as much of that space for people to customers to go through. It almost reminded me when I saw that concept for the first time the 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 four lane Taco Bell. It reminded <laughs> me of a bank almost. Um, it does look just, like it, right? It really does look like a bank, mm -hmm. and I, I imagine like you know sending tacos down a vacuum tube or something like that <laughs> to a car. That's that like it's like messy, a, a, yeah. a sushi, a, a rotary sushi bar, but for tacos. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I would yeah. love. <laughs> oh, that would be really interesting to to, to witness. Uh, so let's. Let's backtrack a smidge. Um, so the future of drive-in, we said, is kind of that increased tracking and um, ability to, we said AI ordering or AI voice ordering, assisted voice ordering, right? What hurdles do brands like Sonic and Stars face getting to that next level of, you know, where, you know, McDonald's and, and those bigger chains are? Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, cost and labor. So with, with any new technology, it's going to be in its, its when it's uh, right there on the bleeding edge, it's just going to be super expensive. So, uh, yeah, it, I love it. I've, we've seen the technology in the, in the 50s, you know, technology it was, or I guess it was 69, right? But the first moon landing came out and they said that there's more tech more computational power in your iPhone than there was in the entire mission that got us to the moon. 
So now everybody's got one of those things, as it seems like. So we're trying to advance and figure out what to do with these devices that helps. And if I'm a restaurant owner, I want to know what can I do with this device to help me actually uh, become more efficient. Um, do we leverage what people are having in a pocket versus this? Because cost matters. And then you also had labor. I mean, that that's where you start considering things like uh, the electric order taking maybe my, through an app, through a kiosk, uh, through AI-assisted audio. Uh, anything I can do because I can't get human beings to show up, you know, uh, reliably and actually, you know, work on it. Um, that is... So I would say that those are definitely, those are definitely probably the biggest hurdles that they have in trying to keep up. What's also interesting is I see uh, two different approaches happening. And uh, one is what the major QSRs are doing, which they're really leaning on technology heavily. I mean, really heavy and jumping in and deep and going and seeing what technology can do for them. The other direction uh, is Chick-fil-A. You know, it, which this weird oddity of a, of a restaurant that is uh, that is leveraging people. It's kind of going the other direction. Say we're going to use technology, but we're going to match that up with human beings because human being the human being interaction matters, which is why they've spent a ridiculous amount on those patios on every Chick Fil A with fans and heaters, so that their employees yeah. can be outside to meet customers uh, to make that difference. It's just fascinating these two different approaches and, and which one is. Uh, which one is better? I don't know. I could tell you right now. I think the report that came out last year said the average, yeah, I don't know if we pick uh, McDonald's, it was like two, 2.25 million a year, something like that. And the average uh, Chick-fil-A was about 5.5, somewhere in there. Yeah, it was so, like more than double. And that's six days a week because they're shut down one day. It, yeah. That, that's, that's the day you go to Kane's because Kane's at <laughs> their store. Which is... Right. Right strategically across the, across the street. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Genius move. Genius move. I just want to know between those those two, I mean, you're those are different ways of tackling. They each have their costs associated with them. Uh, they're just different ways of attacking that same problem of how do I keep my costs down and how do I get my queue up more reliably so that people can get in and get a consistent uh, experience whenever they come through. Because it's all about the experience, I mean. Otherwise, you're just a commodity item. So what hurdles, you know, we, we talked about, you know, kind of where your Sonic and your stars are headed with, um, you know, whether that's digital menu in the the car port or order kiosk or, um, you know, auto order taking. Hey. What hurdles do mom and pops face when trying to digitize? Or do you think that they oh, kind of leave that to the to the big guys? So there's this weird fine line, I think, that goes between the nostalgia of what they try to represent and the technology. So uh, at some point, you're you're kind of ruining the the nostalgia to put something there that's not nostalgic, and you're kind of getting that 1950s feel. And then you have a computer; it's like it's not. Well, it's those are two different. It's like half. It's the way I dress half the time, where my wife has to say, "No, no, 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 we don't wear those things together." You know, and I think there's, that, a, there's a fine the balance. <laughs> that's from Every, yesterday. <laughs> everything I no. watched in the eighties because it rocked. <laughs> um, okay, but you know, the deal when you talk about the mom and pops, Sonic is, geez, they're they're a hundred times bigger than their closest competitor. It's 
far as number of stores. And their closest competitor is probably 30, 40 times bigger than mom and pop. So when you when you lose that, uh, when you don't have the, the multiple stores to, to work with, you end up with um, you end up with really struggling to grow because you can't take advantage of economies of scale. You can't you don't have a group that's dedicated to figure out how to make technology work more for you uh, and test stores and you know all that. I mean that that stuff matters. So I think for mom and pop, just trying to really gauge whether they want to be the nostalgic 1950s thing. And there's a, there's a place for that. It's niche. It's, it's very, you know, there's definitely a place for that. And a lot of these live on these, live on these highways and in these rural towns where they're just, everyone knows that's Pete's place. And for goodness sakes, yeah. you know, I, I've been going there 50 well, you, years, you know, or my, my you dad go there after. Exactly. You go there after, you know, band band concerts or choir concerts or little league games. You know, everyone's in the parking lot, you know, eating ice cream. Like they're part of the community, especially these mom and pops. It's, it's where life happens. I mean, they come in and (laughs) they just, and it's, it's where we celebrate. And my family and I have, uh, for us, it was Outback, you know, Outback Steakhouse for 15 years. Whenever something big happens, we're like, Hey, Let's go to Outback and we all get it under from down under. We, you know, we split it and now we have to get two. They're a lot bigger. And, uh, but yeah, that's, uh, I love that about that. I just love that about that small town, that, that drive in feel that you've got a place where life happens and people, you know, you, you'll see buddies there, you know, you wave at each other at these bars, you might get out and go visit or something like that. It's yeah. I know. I, I literally, I when I think about when I go back there, I'm smiling as I'm thinking about it. So I know that it, it is definitely, a, definitely a special Americana thing, and that that's a big For deal sure. just to get to that point. It is, yeah, to be so ingrained because mm-hmm. you can have these one-offs, and they're still they still do reasonably well in these towns where they might be competing. They might be the only fast food in town that's not a chain, you know, and there's they're competing. So to answer the big question of, of this episode, <laughs> what is the outlook on drive-ins? Are they, are they dead? Are they dead? You know, I, very honestly, uh, when I was with Warmatic, I, I was looking ahead down the road and going, this is not good, drive-ins. If you look at, if you look at a, uh, let's say a, a Sonic that's 20 years old and count the number of stalls, and you looked at a brand new Sonic, You'd notice that they are spend, they're putting less parking spots right or, around us, so they have less stalls, and they all now have a drive-through. And drive-throughs at, at a typical restaurant, uh, at just a typical QSR, are sixty to seventy percent of the business. Every other place we go has a drive-through, and we're taught how to do that. Uh, I think humans kind of feel like when they get into a drive-in and they stop. I think there's some psychology with that, that when they stop in the stall, that time stops or, or, you know, and that they're watching people go through the drive through and get out and going, well, that was faster than this. Back then I felt like this is it, probably not looking good, but then the pandemic happens again, the resiliency of the model, which people are, are still worried that that's not the last pandemic that we'll see. And, and. We know there's a hundred percent chance at some point, maybe in a hundred years, whatever, uh, uh, after us or sometime in the near future, there will be another one. And you know, it's a resilient model 
but we've also seen the, the leveraging those systems. So I think you'll see um, some really cool innovation that comes out of drive-in where people use, figure out what to do with these, with these spots. I mean, if we're having more electric cars, why not charge my electric car in some of these small towns, which separate the large towns. So if I'm traveling, I have a place not only to charge my car for a bit, but why not get some food while, or some drinks while I'm in there? Because it takes True. a little bit to do that. So yeah. uh, you might see you might see one of the, some of these drive-ins turn to little gas station gas stations, right? Like a little electric yeah, gas electric. station. Yeah. So uh, there's I think there's definitely some innovation that can occur. I think the model uh, has shown that it has some bright spots in it, uh, but there's going to have to be some there's got to be some realization on what to do uh, when somebody is in a stall because we are so ingrained to think that if we are not moving, then it's not fast. Yeah. And, that's, and that, that's definitely it. So um, for these, you know, like you start thinking about these mom and pops and I mean, what is, what is their future? Now, hopefully we'll see some of those that actually want to take their model. They found something, they found something cool and bright uh, that they want to take that model and start to grow it. That's the kind of thing, honestly, I would love to be able to help with is how do we take that little mom and pop and turn that into the next Sonic? You know, something something yeah. that large. I don't I don't see mom the little mom and pops going out anytime soon. They might actually consider selling this at some point. Which it kinda be sad, right? If you're in some little small town little and, and, and Moe's Tavern was there forever and then it, you know, it becomes, you know, uh I, I'm not gonna say a name of anyone, but a another particular chain, you'd kinda be like, eh. It's like something yeah. very personal just got wiped out. Yeah, and I, I think at least in the context of, you know, I come from McHenry County, Illinois, which is very rural or relatively rural. Um, and there's one that I can think of. I think it was the Huntley Dairy Mart or something like that. Um, it, it's right off of the main highway that has since grown exponentially. Um, and it, so it's hard to get in and out of there. Yeah. Um, but I think that it, I almost feel like they would close before straight up selling. Because yep. it is such a, it's ingrained. It is where everyone in Huntley goes after little league games. It is it is such a part of the community, even though it is seemingly inconvenient to go to. Yeah. Um, people right. are there. You know, it's it's always packed all summer. They you know sometimes they're only open seasonally, and and I think, um, I I think that they would rather just they would rather let it die than than sell because it almost feels like a betrayal. To your point, if we if it was something for so long for generations, yeah. and now we're gonna let it be a chain, no, I don't I don't see it. So I grew up in Norman, Oklahoma, and uh, we had one that used to be a Sonic, and at some point it converted to what they call the classic '50s drive-in. And when I was in high school, that was the thing, right? I mean, that's every everything I mentioned happened to that classic '50s, and there was some kind of a battle, uh, you know, where. I don't know all the ins and outs. This is a bazillion years ago where Sonic put the <laughs> store right next to the. Oh, and no. And I'll tell you what, the town threw a fit. Uh, and, you know, uh, everyone in high school, all of us uh, with cars, you know, uh, we were like not touching it. So we, we yeah. would pack the classic 50s. And it's just that, that small mentality of this is uh -huh. something special and local and it, it might not mean anything to anybody else, but it's ours. You know, you. When, it, when it's a mom and pop, there is a level of nostalgia that 
is required, I think, mm -hmm. for it to maintain. And to your point, you need to, it needs to stay ingrained. It needs to be a little bit more um, part of the community. Um, what Sonic and those bigger chains kind of are in a position where because they look more so like a McDonald's and feel more like a McDonald's or feel more like something that younger generations are more familiar with, that is, you know, like a cool concept to them sometimes, I think, that they can mm -hmm. have that high-tech experience in something that is sort of meant to be antiquated, you know, yeah. in the same way that they're all collecting, you know, records and, and all of some of the more technology that we've phased out comes back, but enhanced in ways that we're, you know, we're buying it online in a way where you'd have to go to a record store to go pick it up, you know? So I think that there's, it'll be really interesting to see what happens, especially with Sonic being so gross, um, so set on gross going forward. Yeah. To your point, they just opened up in Hawaii and they're- Isn't that exciting? They said they got five, I think five stores that they're gonna be putting in Hawaii, three or five. That's but so that's cool. Good, good for them. That's a little bit of Oklahoma yeah. that just somehow uh, sprouted and grew successfully. I love it. Well, thank you so much, Paul, for taking the time to sit down with me and talk about drive-ins. Um, like I said, very excited um, to to do this because there's there's not a lot out there. So this will be this will be really exciting. So thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Delia, thank you. It's, it's definitely been a delight always to visit with you. So thank you very much for your time today. And that's a wrap on the second episode of Technical Foodies. Thank you so much for tuning in. As always, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you're listening. We will catch you in April. Bye.